Hello and welcome to episode 12 of the Beyond the Battle podcast. It's been a while, once again, since the last episode. And the main thing that I want to talk about today is something that I'm hoping will help with that. And that is a survey that I'm doing, a little feedback survey, to hear how the podcast can be improved and I would really, really love it if you would take a couple minutes to take the survey. The survey can be found at my blog, noahphilippiak.com. You will find the survey there in the blog section. You also can find the survey pinned to my personal Twitter, as well as the show Twitter, which is at battle underscore podcast. And my... Uh, Facebook author page. So lots of places to find the survey. Here is what I'm asking on the survey. How often do you want to get a new podcast episode? How long should podcast episodes be? What topics would you like to hear on Noah's podcast? Give feedback on what the name of the podcast should be. I would be interested and available for Facebook Live podcast episodes. And it explains what that is on the survey. And lastly, I would support Noah's podcast with a small monthly donation using Patreon. This will help Noah make the podcast part of his career, dedicating the needed time to it and ensuring he puts out episodes on his scheduled rhythm from question one. So basically... I know one of the major drawbacks of this podcast is the episodes come quite randomly and more and more infrequently, and I love doing the podcast, but there's lots of other stuff going on, and you kind of have to prioritize, and so the idea of the Patreon, where some listeners choose to do a small monthly donation, would be really to make it more of a professional venture, where I would for sure have, whether it was weekly or bi-weekly, depending on the survey, uh, would for sure have episodes out on a certain day at a certain time. And uh, I think that would make the podcast significantly better. And I uh, would love to do that if, um, if it could be done. So that's what question six helps with. And then lastly, just other comments that you have. So please take a minute or two to fill the survey out. That would be great. And then I'll start looking at those results and make some needed and helpful changes. So what we're going to do today is jump into the mailbag. We're also going to look at Matthew 3, 16 to 17 as our passage for learning how to spend this time with God uh, in, a, in a rhythm sort of way. And then I want to talk about for the topic of the day, so to speak, which I think the mailbag will lead right into is a blog post that I did recently uh, called House Money releasing God from your best life now and the freedom that this brings and just how that ties into our longings that we have for sexual sin and, and all the different ways that those longings uh, manifest themselves. So let's jump into it with the mailbag. Mail time. Mail time. Mail time. Mail time. 
All right, so we got a couple questions that came in from Cody. And I will start with the first one that came in. He said this was a conversation he was having with a non-Christian friend, and he didn't really have as good of an answer as he had hoped. The question being, what kind of God, uppercase or lowercase g, thinks so highly of himself that if you don't spend every waking second of your life honoring him, he is disappointed in you? I think with that question, my first thought is the person asking that has really been exposed to a legalistic idea and concept of God. So the difference between a legalistic God and a God of grace would be legalistic God is saying, hey, you have to follow these rules and then I'll be pleased with you. And if you don't follow these rules good enough, I won't be pleased with you. And essentially, if you break down all the world religions, Jesus, you could call it uh, being a Christ follower, Christianity, is the only faith where that's not the case. All these other faiths, God is saying, basically what this uh, question is saying, you better spend every waking second of your life honoring me, and if not, I'm going to be disappointed in you. You're going to get before God someday when you die, and he's going to look at all the things you did, and, and did you measure up? Did, you know, did you did or didn't you? Did you do enough good things? And if you think about the concept of measuring up, that is a huge weight to bear. Can you, I mean, imagine, and some of you are, are carrying that weight, I have to measure up to God. Christians still carry this weight, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in this episode as well. But this weight that God is disappointed in me unless I measure up. Well, here's the here's the reality of that. Here's the news. You can never measure up to God. So good luck. I mean, you, you, why even try, right? Why even try to measure up to God when he's holy? I mean, he's, a, he's so holy and scripture is very clear that we are not holy. And even if you don't believe in the Bible, like this friend that's asking this question of Cody's, you can still conceptually understand God, I think, pretty easily as holy, that God created all this stuff. He's way different than us, like way better, way more powerful. And I think you can understand conceptually that people are not holy, that people, if you look at humanity as a whole, it's pretty evil. Like we're, we're, we're prone to some pretty horrendous things. And if you search deep into your heart, you, you can at least admit to a real selfishness inside of us and certainly evil. You may or may not be able to call it that, uh, but we certainly are not like God, right? There's certainly this huge expanse between the two. So the answer to this question really is grace. What kind of God thinks so highly of himself that if you don't spend every waking second of your life honoring him, he's disappointed in you? Well, that's not a God I want to serve, and I, I praise God that I that's not the God <laughs> that I serve. Um, Jesus came, he died on the cross, and when he died on the cross for our sins, what the Bible says, and it's very clear, and beyond the battle actually really walks you through this, that when the Father looks at us now, instead of seeing someone he's disappointed in, he sees the perfection of Jesus. And that has huge, huge ramifications. Speaking of blog posts, I've been doing a bit more this week, and I just did another post. It's called Shame Versus the Gospel is God pleased with you? And if you have any doubt if God is pleased with you or not, if you're in Jesus, I'd really encourage you to read 
this passage. And uh, hold that thought, because that is what's going to lead us into Matthew 3, 16 to 17, when we do our, our devotional time. Because it's such a huge thing to know that as a follower of Jesus, God is pleased with you. And there's nothing you can do to make him more pleased with you. And there's nothing you can do to make him less pleased with you. He looks at you and he sees the perfection of Jesus. He sees a son. He sees a daughter. You are a co-heir with Christ. And so um, what a great opportunity, Cody, to talk to your friend and say, hey, I agree with you. I would never want to serve a God like that. Um, Jesus came so that God would be pleased with us. And... Um, not, and not be disappointed with us. And certainly there's fruit that's going to come from that, but the fruit comes from our gratitude. It comes from this love relationship we have with God. It's not we're trying to please the principal by following the rules or we're trying to please the police chief. That's not who God is. He's a father. He wants to be in a love relationship with us that he makes possible through the cross. And in that love relationship, he just holds us, he loves us, and we, we respond in love. I mean, we, we respond because... We give him our allegiance. We're like saying, God, your way is so much better than my way could ever possibly be. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to follow you. And, and those are the, uh, re- really the path of discipleship after that. So great question. Uh, I hope that helps. I'm going to go to Cody's uh, next question, which is a question from him. Uh, what exactly does it mean to fear the Lord, and how can I achieve that on a daily basis? And it's actually... A good question in contrast to the first one that the friend asked, because the friend is asking basically like, what kind of God thinks so highly of himself that you have to spend every second of your life honoring him? It's very sort of snarky the way it's asking it. I don't blame that person for asking that way. They're not a believer. But um, it's this idea that that the way it works is every waking second of my life, I must think about honoring him. And then you see it phrased the way Cody phrased it, who's a believer. What exactly does it mean to fear the Lord and how can I achieve that on a daily basis? And so fear is a word used in scripture really in two different ways, maybe more than that, but primarily two different ways. It's the same Greek word, uh, but it, it sometimes is used legitimately just for the word fear. Like they were afraid, they feared for their life sort of thing. The same Greek word, it's used in a different way, though. It's nuanced, whereas our word fear really isn't. Um, but when throughout the Old Testament, often you'll you'll be told to fear God, and then in the New Testament, the same thing is used several times, fearing God. And it's not to be afraid of God, though it's not completely unrelated to that term either. It really, we're talking here about God's holiness, that God really is holy, Uh, Back to that concept I was talking about with the first question, God is completely other than us. He created the whole world. He is without sin. He is all-powerful. We are his creatures, so he's the creator. We are the created, and God is holy and we are not. And the proper response from the creature to the creator is, would be the way scripture uses the word fear in relation to fearing God. It's an awe. It's a reverence to God. It's understanding that he's the judge. Knowing that in Jesus, we we don't have to fear going to hell. We don't have to fear wrath or judgment. We don't have to fear disappointing God because we're in Christ. But 
the theological word, well, it's really just a, a word, it's just a big word used, it's ontological. It's an understanding that we are other than God. God is other than us. There's an ontological difference we must understand, and that's a component of fearing God, that if God were to reveal himself in all of his glory, I would, I would be afraid. Exodus 19 would be the place to go for that, where the mountain is trembling and, and all these sorts of things, and I've talked about that at length in Beyond the Battle and in other episodes, but it's a healthy awe, reverence, and fear of God. It's a respect for God, where here's what happens. If the creature... I'll do this in sermons sometimes where I'll take a piece of clay and I'll make it into like a little man and my little clay men always look more like starfish than people, right? With a little like four, two arms and two legs and a head. But I'll play this out and kind of make it funny and and I'm the creator and I created this person out of clay and then all of a sudden the person in this little high-pitched voice is like, hey, 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 you up there, what are you? What do you think you're what do you think you're looking at, huh? And, and, and I'm like, yeah, I love you. I'm here. I created you. And the person's like, I don't like you. You're stupid, you know. And and I I take little pieces of clay and start throwing them like from the little man up at up at my face, right? And it's it's this act of rebellion from this little clay creature that I just made. Like if if I hadn't made the clay man, the clay man wouldn't exist. And now the clay man <laughs> The clay man has the audacity to rebel against me, to think that, that he's equal to me or even higher than me. That would be the opposite of fearing God. And, and that's what we do when we're apart from Christ. Before we bow the knee of repentance, that's what we do. We say, I don't need you, God. I'm rebelling against you. I, I'm not going to obey your ways. I'm going to do things my way. And so a healthy fear of God, and Cody, you're asking as a believer, how do I experience that every day? I think it's that genuine humility. It's that genuine humility of knowing who God is, who I am, and and it really produces freedom in our lives. It produces freedom where, see, I don't want to get into another 45-minute sermon just on this, but... Uh, if you've read Beyond the Battle, I talk a lot in there about entitlement because entitlement is one of the key roots of sexual sin. Where we go, but it applies to all areas of life. We go to God and we say, "God, give me what I deserve. I've done it your way. Give me what I deserve." A healthy fear of God understands I don't deserve anything from God. I do deserve wrath and judgment because he's holy and I'm not. He saved me from that through Jesus if I put my faith in Jesus. But that is ultimately what I deserve. And so when I go before God in fear, Cody, in that daily fear, it changes the way I pray. It changes everything about the way I approach God. And the freedom there is when I have bad circumstances in my life, and I just had a talk with a friend this week, and it's it's heart-wrenching because he's been exposed to a lot of health and wealth theology and prosperity theology, and 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 uh, that's a whole other podcast episode that I, I think I'll, I'll tackle um, here, here shortly in the new podcast format because you can take kind of bits and pieces of scripture out of context and make it sound like God is your genie, he is your butler, you, he's Santa Claus, right? You and, and you can you can kind of twist it and say, well, yeah, he's a good father. Like, he, wouldn't he want to give you everything you need and everything you want? And that's not a healthy fear of God. 
and uh, when you go before God and, and you say, God, like you owe this to me, whatever it is. I mean, it could be something, I'm talking about legitimate things. I'm not talking about, I want a million dollars or I, I want a bunch of money. That's not, that's not the core, I don't think, of most health and wealth prosperity theology. I think it is the core of some of the more extreme, really ridiculous stuff that's out there. But I think the core of most of what you hear out there is, God wants good things to happen to you, so pray to him with faith. Good things will happen to you. And if you boil that teaching down, I won't do it here in this episode. I'll do it in the next episode. It's just not a biblical approach because it removes all suffering from the equation. And I would challenge you right now to find one character in the Bible that didn't suffer. I mean, you probably can find one or two because there's probably hundreds of characters in the Bible, but 98% of the characters in the Bible, they suffered, suffered immensely. Jesus, the chief of all. And so that to me completely cancels any sense of health and wealth, prosperity gospel that God owes it to me. See, when when it feels like God owes it to me, then it's my paycheck. So then when those good things do come, I'm not even that thankful for them. I feel like I've deserved it all along. It's not a mercy from God that I don't deserve. It's something that I do deserve, that, I, that I've earned, that God owes to me. And those are two very, very, very different mindsets. Back to Cody's question, what does a proper fear of God looks like? It's going before God and saying, God, you don't owe me anything. I don't deserve anything before you. And yet you have given me yourself on the cross. You paid for my sins. They are completely removed. When you look at me now, you are not disappointed. When you look at me now, I'm a co-heir with Christ. You see me as without blemish, free from accusation. You see me as holy. These are all straight quotes from scripture, Colossians 1.22, Romans 8. 17. And what happens is gratitude. What happens is peace. What happens is joy in the midst of cancer. Now, pray that God will heal your cancer. God can and will heal and sometimes does. And scripture tells us to pray with our our requests and our petitions. But fear of God is going before God and fully acknowledging I deserve nothing from God. And that is a very, very healthy place to be, knowing instead of giving you what you deserve, which is nothing, he's given you grace and mercy, and knowing that this world isn't heaven. And so we get pieces of heaven on this earth, but this earth has fallen, and I don't understand the theology that doesn't acknowledge that. It's just, I don't know what planet that person's living on. I mean, I... I just don't, I've seen so many friends just crash and burn in their faith because they buy into that. It sounds great on the surface. Maybe one good thing does happen to them and they think, oh, quote, like this is working, quote unquote. Uh, Crash and burn because then suffering comes and where's God? And oh man, I just, just thinking of this conversation I just had this week. It's so sad. Um, yeah, so that's, that's, that's what it looks like, Cody, to do that on a daily basis. It's, it's when you go before God in prayer and that daily rhythm time with the Lord and just acknowledging who God is every single time. 
God, I don't deserve anything from you. You're holy. You've given me so much. You've given me so much. I'm in reverence of you. I'm in awe of you. And man, you do that and, and there's going to just be incredible freedom that comes despite your circumstances. And it's going to change you. And that's the most important thing. And, and it's amazing what that will change around you, right? Once, once you start to change. So close up the mailbag for this week. If you want to email me for a podcast question, you can do that at podcast at beyondthebattle.net podcast at beyondthebattle.net. You can also reach the podcast on Twitter at battle underscore podcast. Next, what I like to do on every episode is just a short passage of scripture as a way of helping you spend your daily rhythm time with God. When it comes to overcoming sexual sin, when it comes to overcoming any sin, living in life as a whole, if you struggle with anxiety, depression, just any number of things, which those aren't sins, but those are things that make us really needing to spend time with Jesus every day, right? Just because we really need to be filled up from him in incredible ways, uh, whether we struggle with those things or not. But I think, especially if we do, to be grounded and anchored every single day, even when it doesn't feel like um, there's a grounding and anchoring there, to still go to the grounding and the anchoring. So, uh, the Bible, I don't think is best read just reading it, plowing through it. Um, te- a teaser uh, for the blog. I'm going to do a blog post here in the next week or so when, I'm, when I have a second on why you should stop reading the one-year Bible. Yeah. So, boom, hot take. Uh, you know, you know how it is. Why you should stop reading the one-year Bible. But my point uh, here for the podcast is I don't think the Bible is just meant to be plowed through and read cognitively. There's a time and place for that. I think you should read the whole Bible. I think you should sit down and read the Bible for hours sometimes, but on a daily basis to learn to spend time with God in a relational way. And that's what I want to help you with on, on the podcast is show you how to do that. And I've done that on uh, the last few episodes. So get caught up on those. Um, but today I'm going to be in Matthew 3, 16 to 17. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. I want you to listen to that last phrase again. And Scripture and the Gospel tells us that this phrase is 100% true of you if you are in Jesus. That the words of the Father spoken to Jesus here are the same words spoken to you. I want you to listen to him again. Coming from the Father to you. This is my son This is my daughter, whom I love. With him, with her, I am well pleased. I could hear that over and over and over again and still need to hear it more. (laughs) 
most of my life I haven't believed that about the gospel. I haven't believed that about the Father. I, I think I believed more what Cody's non-Christian friend was asking, that God's disappointed in me and not pleased with me, and I, and I have to do more to please him, and it's this legalistic cycle. The gospel is not about legalism. legalism. If you are wondering where I'm getting it from, that these this phrase applies 100% to you in the gospel, I would encourage you back to the reference I made earlier to my blog post, Shame versus the Gospel, Is God Pleased With You? That's at noahphilippiac.com. But essentially, if you read Colossians 1.22, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. When the Father looks at you, he sees you as holy, he sees you without blemish, and he sees you free from accusation. That's pleasure. He's pleased with you. He is well pleased with you. Romans 8.17 says, Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. A co-heir means I receive what Christ receives. That is what that means. So when the Father says to Jesus, This is my Son whom I love, and him I am well pleased. Understand that when you accept the gospel, the good news of Jesus, when, when you put your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you enter that relationship with him, you give him your allegiance. When the Father looks at you, he does not see your sin anymore. He sees Jesus' perfection. And he is well pleased. And I think the gospel I grew up with believe that for judgment day. Like when I die someday and stand before the Lord, he won't see my sin. He'll see Jesus' perfection and I'll get to go into heaven. Why do we not think the power of Jesus and the power of the gospel would do that right now when scripture tells us right here it does that right now? You are a co-heir with Christ. It doesn't say you will be a co-heir with Christ. It says you are a co-heir with Christ. You are holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. Back to the text and how to spend this daily rhythm time with God. Do you believe that about yourself? When the Father looks at you, what does he see? What thoughts come to your mind? Do you believe the words from the Father's lips to you? This is my son. This is my daughter whom I love. With him, with her, I am well pleased. (laughs) I am already well pleased. There's nothing you could do to make me more well-pleased. There's nothing you could do to make me less well-pleased. Because when Jesus died on that cross, he said, it is finished. You cannot alter the power of the cross. You cannot add an extra layer of frosting to it, nor can you erode it or corrode it away somehow. What I've been doing... It's called a breath prayer. And a breath prayer 
is a prayer you pray throughout your day while you breathe. It's meant to be short and simple and memorable. And I have been praying throughout my day, I am your son, whom you love, and with whom you are well pleased. I am your son, who you love, with who you are well pleased. Over and over and over throughout my day, when the depression or the anxiety sneaks in, I am your son, whom you love, and whom you are well pleased. When I want to strive, when I'm trying really hard to get a book endorsement, for a book deal, which is a major area of striving and insecurity for me. And I'm slipping back into feeling like a failure or slipping back into feeling like this is some kind of weird extra credit before God. I am your son, whom you love right now in this moment, with who you are well pleased Nothing needs to be added from the resume and nothing can be taken away because my security is in Jesus. So I encourage you in that. Take that with you in your daily time with the Lord. Take it with you throughout your day. Maybe God will give you a different breath prayer. That's the one he gave me and it has been a beautiful gift and I want to give it to you as well. It's quite different way of reading the Bible. And it is the power of the Bible through and through in a living and active way. The Holy Spirit speaking in dynamic ways through the power of the authoritative word of God. And uh, it's, it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. So transitioning here, kind of the topic of the day, I've already hit on quite a bit, like I said I would be, so this won't be very much longer. But the blog post I wrote was House Money Releasing God from Your Best Life Now and the Freedom That This Brings. And essentially it's this. I'll let you read the whole post. I'm not going to give you a summary of the post because it's there and you'll benefit from just reading it in its entirety. But the idea of the best thing, you can put that in quotes or capitalize it. The best thing is something God really got me thinking about. I did a sermon on this as well recently, 1 Peter 1, uh, 3 to 12, and, and that sermon is embedded into that post as well. If you want to hear it, I encourage you to check that out. But I caught myself when I was praying, and I was praying that God would do certain things. That's how we pray usually, right? And there wasn't a lot of fear of the Lord, I don't think, in, in, in my prayer, back to Cody's question. And... To be frank, I'm praying for this book deal. I'm praying for these endorsements I'm supposed to get. And, and this is what the publisher is going to use to make their decision. And so, you know, it's a really... For, for, for someone wired like me, it can be this really awkward, uncomfortable... You're... you're emailing people like friends of friends. Hey, I know so-and-so. Can you endorse my book? And I'm praying and I'm asking, and I'm like, God, like, let it be so, you know, let this stuff happen. 
Of course, again, back to that prosperity gospel, of course you want this to happen, God, because you you want to help people. You want this book to help people, and you want to help me, of course, too. And, you know, maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. That's his will. It's not, it's not my will. God has done more sanctification in my life through my failures that, that ever could have happened through, quote-unquote, successes or, or getting the things that I prayed for. So I praise him that 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 he's protecting my heart from the things I'm praying for. But but back to the point, back to recently praying, and and, and here's where the red flag was going off, and, 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 and the red lights, the sirens, and maybe this is going off in your life as well, and you haven't been able to label it or identify it. I'm not getting these things. Or when someone says no, I was really disappointed. And that was the red flag, was why am I so disappointed that this thing isn't happening. Why, why am I so disappointed that I'm, I want this so badly, I'm treating it like it's the best thing. I'm treating it like if I had this thing, if I had this endorsement, which would give me this book deal, then I would have the best thing. And then I would have peace and joy and I would be satisfied and I would be content. And those are all the things, Scripture is very clear, that Jesus gives me. And so I realize what I'm doing, what I realize is what I'm doing, is I'm going to my husband, who's Jesus. Scripture has a beautiful analogy of a bride and a bridegroom. The church is the bride and Jesus is the groom. And I'm going to my groom, my husband, who is in the gospel, gives me my peace and my joy and my satisfaction and contentment because of what he's done for me already on the cross, is more than enough. It's the richest treasure ever fathomable. And I'm essentially praying and I'm saying, Jesus, husband, Jesus, will you give me another husband? I I really want this other husband because um, I want peace and joy and contentment and satisfaction. You're just, you're not really cutting it. So could you give me this other thing instead? It'd be great. Think about that relationally. If you went to your spouse, if you're married, and and you were like, "Hey, hey, wife, hey, husband, uh, is it cool with you if I get another husband or another wife? Is that cool? I mean, well, I'll, I'll keep you too, but you know, uh, not gonna go over so so well, right? And how many times do our prayers become our idols? And they become our best thing. And how often do we see God as the person who's supposed to give us our best life now, the best thing, the things that we think are best. And he's given us the best thing already, and it's himself, and we miss it. We don't get to enjoy it. We don't get the peace and joy from him. Because we're fixated on what we think is the best thing, but we already have the best thing. So if you can relate to that a little bit, or maybe you just disagree, I'd encourage you to check out House Money, Releasing God from Your Best Life Now and the Freedom to Springs, as well as the sermon in First Peter that's embedded there. But so much freedom and hope and joy that I have found in finding Jesus to be the best thing. And here's how this applies to Beyond the Battle in our, in our thirst for sexual sin, 
are we, we think that that woman or that that man will be the best thing. Whether and and here's the thing about about this stuff. This is this goes this very much for Christians, followers of Jesus who are wanting to obey scripture, who struggle with same-sex attraction and they've tried to change and they can't change and this is who they are and for whatever reason they have this attraction and they're committing themselves to living single celibate lives or some are able to marry um, heterosexual marriage but they continue a homosexual attraction that they struggle with and wrestle with and we're in the same boat together, whether it's a heterosexual or homosexual attraction, some would call it or- an orientation. But there's this idea that the best thing is that man. The best thing is that woman. Particularly if you're single, you really, really believe that. You really, really believe that if you just had that relationship and you see your friends that are married and their kids and families and in your mind, you, 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 you see it like it's slow motion. You see it like there's Hallmark movie music behind it. And that's the utopia. That's the best thing. That will give you your peace and your joy and your contentment. That's the best thing. And you're going to God and you're saying, God, give me the best thing. Husband Jesus, give me a husband. And he doesn't give it to us. And so we act out in our sexual sin. We go and find it ourselves. We're going to find the best thing. We're going to find it ourselves. And if you are married, oh, how does th- how this applies, right? You married the wrong person. Or that new person, they, they, they sure are pretty cool. Maybe they're the best thing, right? And so you're living without the best thing and you really want the best thing, but you're a good Christian. You're a good soldier. You're not going to go cheat and have an affair. So you're just going to live in this discontented misery, plowing through all kinds of wicked thoughts in your head about your marriage and your spouse and about God and about that other new best thing person. Oh man, they really might be the best thing. But you're going to soldier on, you're going to plow through and you're going to live the rest of your life just in miserable discontent. Because you don't have the best thing and, and you think that other thing out there is the best thing. Brothers and sisters, married and single, the best thing is Jesus. And in a deep relational way, you can experience the best thing. Pornography is the same way. Goodness, it it gives you the picture of the best thing. And you know it's going to let you down every time, but at least it gives you it for a minute. For a second, it gives you the rush of thinking you have the best thing that intimacy with that man or that woman that you want. They desire you. They want you. You know they really don't, but that's what gets you sucked in. Jesus does desire you. <laughs> Jesus does want you. If you haven't read Beyond the Battle, uh, this is really the foundation of the whole book. I'd encourage you to, to go down that path with Jesus 
in your daily rhythm time with Jesus. Let him be the best thing. You have the best thing. And here's the freeing part. No matter what happens in your circumstances, if you, you, you're in that marriage and the marriage circumstance doesn't change, your spouse doesn't change, but you get to experience the best thing still. You have the peace and you have the joy and nothing can touch that. You walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but you fear no evil, but you lay down in green pastures. You're in the valley of the shadow of death. This is Psalm 23, but you're in a green pasture by the stream of, of living water because you, you, you can't get rid of the best thing. You can't get rid of Jesus. No bad circumstance can take that away from you. And you're single and the same-sex attraction, God hasn't removed it from you. Or you have a heterosexual attraction and you just haven't found the person and you're getting older and you're wondering if you ever will and you're mad at God and everybody else has this best thing and you don't. And when you have the best thing in Jesus, your circumstances may not change. But within that circumstance, you have peace and you have joy and you are free from the slavery. You are free from the bondage of thirsting after the best thing because you already have it. You already have it. And go to God with your prayers and petitions, but know that you already have the best thing and experience it and live it. And that is a revolutionary life. That is a revolutionary faith. And people might even look at you like, why do you have joy and peace? <laughs> like you, you know, I've heard, I've heard your struggles. I've, I've heard your, your cries to God. I have the best thing. I already have it. So I encourage you with that. You already have the best thing. Uh, to conclude episode 12, the Beyond the Battle podcast, reminder, please, 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 please fill out my survey. It is free. You will have a blast. It will be the best two minutes of your day. I promise. No, I don't promise. I mean, I could promise that. It means nothing. I have no... Uh, I, my promise means nothing. But... I would really appreciate it if you did. It's those six questions. Again, you can find that at noahflipiak.com. Click on the blog. You'll see the survey there. I have also pinned it to at battle underscore podcast on Twitter. I've pinned it to my personal Twitter. I've pinned it to my author Facebook page. That would be a ginormous help. If you're struggling with pornography, you can get 60 free days of Covenant Eyes. I have a new promo code. It is much easier to use than before. Just use the promo code BEYOND. BEYOND, like beyond the battle, but just the word BEYOND. You will get 60 days free of Covenant Eyes. Awesome stuff. Check out beyondthebattle.net if you would like to do an online small group with me through Beyond the Battle. Would love to have you in one of those groups. Speaking of loving, I love you. Jesus loves you even more. You are not alone. You already have the best thing if you are in Jesus. And if you're not in Jesus, what are you waiting for? Get in Jesus. He is the best thing. The gospel is awesome. Jesus is awesome. Spend that daily rhythm time with you. He's inviting you. The invitation is there. He loves you. You are not alone. I will talk to you next time. Cause that cross is nothing pretty So why the beauty pageant
and caught up in emotions and following your passions. Talking that freedom, our people need them more than an Easter. Or coffee shop discussions, debating over baristas. Please, sir, this is why we inked up. Even when they do the autopsy, they still see him. Freedom, freedom, freedom coming quickly. Bars from the spirit. Put it through the preamp and mix it like a chemist. Put it in the airwaves and hoping that they hear it. If there's some confusion, then I hope you see him clearly. Raise them, raise them, raise them. They've been sleeping for some ages. Now all God's babies so confused by this hatred. Poor pit preachers shouldn't aim to be A-list. Money probably long, but sure it's with your days is.